Welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the DJ, and with me today I have uh, Davy Boy and the Professor. How have you all been? Oh, pretty good. How about you? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. And enjoying the rain. Nice, relaxing uh, change of weather patterns. Yeah, the rain, the cold, yep. the sorrow. Yep. <laughs> the pain. Man, we're making, we're making it sound like a Dr. Shivago um, plot. I was trying to go Metal Gear Solid, but I guess that goes in the middle. <laughs> All, all we need yeah, now there's is... lots of dramatic movie scenes that have been filmed in the rain. Yep. <laughs> Hold on. Let's go out and recreate the ending of uh, of Blade Runner. I was about <laughs> to say, it's like, I know where you're going with this one. <laughs> Who wants to be the naked guy running around screaming? Hey, it ain't me. <laughs> it ain't me. Sounds fun. <laughs> Uh, who who wants to who, who wants to be um Harrison Ford? I mean, I'll be Harrison Ford and be completely mopey. <laughs> Sounds like a fun time. Get out of the way! Give me my coffee. <laughs> and what's the professor going to play as then? He can uh, be he can be the uh oh, what have we got from Blade Runner. He can be the eye doctor inside a freezing cold chamber. <laughs> oh, that sounds like me. <laughs> I like the cold. Yeah. <clears throat> So there we have it, guys. We're going to re- reenact the scene from Blade Runner with me. <laughs> Not just one scene. Let's do the whole movie. Let's <laughs> no, stop. Let's make another sequel based off the sequel. This is the, you know, it's, 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 the, it's the new, it's going to be the official new part of the Blade Runner trilogy or the Oscars. <laughs> So Someone call Ridley. Got to get that copyright sorted out. <laughs> Look, if we just say we'll help him combine the Blade Runner franchise with more the Alien one, he'll give it to us in a minute. Well, given how the Covenant movie and um and what's the other one, Prometheus? Uh, yeah, I hope. I think that I think that franchise is far from saving Prometheus. I don't know. I mean, honestly, Prometheus. I've never seen it, so I don't really want to comment too much. But based off what I've read about it. I like the premise, but again, I haven't seen the film, so I can't say if it's bad or not. I think Prometheus, like, I've only seen the extended cut with, um, and, like, um, I also watched the sort of advertisements and stuff. So there's a, a couple of advertisements. What do they call it? Pre-release media, whatever. Yeah, like that. Yeah, explaining, like, the mission, and one of them is the, uh, Waylan, I think, introducing yeah, the David androids and watching it all in context like that. Prometheus is a pretty decent movie, but it's not Alien, and people wanted more Alien. Well, alien. So yeah. then Ridley was like, "Okay, you can have more Alien," and he made Covenant, which was too much Alien. <laughs> You're like, "No, Ridley, stop! Not that much Alien." Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Although uh, it's funny how, like, I was going to say, look at you, Professor. Look at you watching um, extended editions and whatnot. <laughs> hey, I do that all the time. Ah, <laughs> uh, but like I said, the the after those two movies, I don't know where they're going to go from there. I mean, oh look, look, it's Hollywood. They'll make another one. I bet you ten dollars on it. Yep. They're already doing it for the Terminator series as well. Like, if a pro if a property is already dead and milked to death, there's at least one little vapor drop remaining somewhere they want to soak out. So there'll be another. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. After Dark Fate, they, everyone was like, why did you kill off the main character? That wasn't all the other Terminator movies. Honestly, I, I honestly want them to do none of the main characters in any of the Terminator movies. Just do something wholly original. Or 
In fact, here's an idea. Make a new franchise. <laughs> uh, by then, what I... is heresy? <laughs> heresy, heresy detected. Ah, uh, ah, uh, that 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 would not end well. And uh, speaking of not ending well, uh, Professor, you've got a story about an end of an era. Another thing that should have died years ago. <laughs> So Adobe Flash has taken another blow. Uh, It's been winding down for a couple of years now, but Congregate has come out and come public that they are no longer accepting new games, which I consider, like, technically Flash isn't being disabled by default in all browsers until the end of the year, I think. But um, I consider this to be sort of the the end Mm. because this is uh, Congregate is one of the biggest Flash game sites on the internet. And it basically means that's it. It's over. No more new games. So let me get this straight. So at the end of the year, right, when Flash's air quotes continued, so are they making it so Flash is not enabled by default? So does that mean browsers won't support it anymore? So you won't be able to use it? Or is it like they're just going to cut it out completely? Um, I'd have to double check that because I know um, Chrome was going to, well, they've disabled it already, but you can't really enable it which I have to do in my job because government sites are still using Flash. Oh my God. <laughs> so insecure, so great. What do you mean? It's fine. There's not a lot. I don't see any bugs running around the screen. Nothing wrong with Flash. Secure as. What do you use that like data leak? No, no. Make it stop. Stop. <laughs> I want to save my sanity. What do you mean we just lost even more data? We just lost, what, another 10,000 customer phone numbers and email addresses? Oh, lost credit cards and that as well. Oh, sorry. What was the problem? Oh, the Flash encryption? Ah, oh, nah. It's fine. Don't worry about it. That's, nah. Keep using Flash, guys. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it is still getting um, releases at the moment, but they looks like uh, they're going to end support on December 31st. Mm. And... Uh, Microsoft has announced that on December 31st, Flash will be entirely removed from all browsers via Windows Update. Oh, so wow. it's going to be a hard kill. Yeah. <laughs> now at least we've got um forgot the name Metal Blank. What was the what's the name of the Flash software that you can do to play games currently? Oh, um Operation Flashpoint is the main yes. one that I'm aware of, which um a guy I know actually through a gaming group has been collecting uh Flash games as part of a, a team. He set up a team to collect Flash games and make a sort of emulator virtual machine type thing. And it basically hosts the, uh, the Flash game offline. Yeah, it, it is huge. There's like thousands of games on there. You could you could spend a good year going through it. But uh, yeah, yeah, but like, that's quite a blow. I mean, it's expected considering how close we are to the end now. But I'm still sad to see an era end. See, but then here's the thing though, like... So if there's no games that are, if they're not going to, if Congregate's not going to accept any games, like there are other like web-based, um, Flash-based game sites they can go to. Like there's always Newgrounds, there's always Miniclip. Only until uh, the, well, yeah. until the end of the year. Once it's disabled in in Windows, like you'll probably still be able to install it, but nobody's going to do that. And if they do on a work computer, I hope I get to slap them in the face. <laughs> no, we yeah, should have I, that disabled, but 
Yeah. I mean, I for one am glad it's dying. Not not because of the air itself, but simply because Flash became such a mess. There, such a mess in the final few years, especially with action scripts, its coding language. Oh, just just oh, dark yes. memories of that. But here's a pro- here's another problem. So if Flash is to be removed from all of the Microsoft computers, that means YouTube is screwed. No, YouTube's not screwed. It's been running on HTML5 for years now. Yeah, I mean, ah, okay. if there was one site that would have been screwed a couple of years ago, that would have been uh, Crunchyroll, because they were still running HTML5 until, what, like two years ago? Oh. Uh, sorry, running on Flash Player, and then finally moved to HTML5 after everyone started kicking uh, quite a bit of fuss over it. But, mm-hmm. I mean, there's definitely some video... Uh, my words today, jeez, I'm tired. <laughs> my apologies, everyone. Um, I've had sleep for 48 hours. Cool. Uh... Uh, what am I going to say? Yes, there's still some sites out there that will be still using the Flash Player. But, I mean, I don't know any. So, for those that are out there, they're just going to have to slow upgrade, I guess. Yeah, if you have a game that you want to keep playing, uh, make sure that you submit it to the Flashpoint guys. If you um, if it's not in there already, which they've got like 50,000 games. I've got the website here. Uh, they say 52,000 games and 4,900 animations. Whoa. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, because it's not just um, just games. It's all sorts of content. And Look, I- it's going to be really sad to see it it die. So I hope everything gets included. Yeah, I spent the evening on there doing a Twitch stream. Ugh. Oh, my God. I did a Twitch stream and I went through and I was just using random number generator and just flicked up random games. And yeah, there's some weird things on there. I flipped up one where it's, you know, the uh, dress your mermaid. That was, a, that was an experience. And then it jumped to some, like, Korean food commercial. You know what's going to be missed, though? Um, what's this? Funhouse. They oh, can't yeah. do the demo disc anymore because the demo disc, while they were waiting for the game to load, they'd always go and play stupid Flash games. Yeah. I mean, they could probably just download Flashpoint. They could, but it's not the same. No one's going to be making new stupid Flash games based True. on uh, kids' movies. I mean, some of that stuff got weird. Yeah, I mean, like, look, at, at least it's one part as well that I'm going to miss, and that's every time you open a Flash-based website, most of the time it tries to start down- downloading malware on my computer. So, yeah, you know, that's a... I mean, and then you open up your Facebook page and you, someone hacks your account and then it starts downloading malware. So it's still going to happen, but missed that experience of being like, I'm guessing I'm going to play this game. Oh, what's all these... Da- fu- what are these... What are these files? Hang on. <laughs> yep. I hope, you know, that's why I'm glad that Flashpoint is a thing, because hopefully Flashpoint being in active development will not uh, be horribly insecure. Yeah, I mean, this is the issue with um, everything based around online media, is that we think the internet's this amazing database that's going to survive for decades and decades, you know. But in truth, it's only some specific websites that will survive. So Wikipedia, for one, at least for now, that's not going anywhere. That's a lot of knowledge, but like the early days internet, you know, GeoCities, and then we had uh, Angel Fire. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, YMTD, and you know, all those meme sites and stuff. Like, all that stuff's gone, and that was its own era. And obviously, the internet archives do the best they can to preserve it, but I mean, nothing lasts forever when it's on servers and there's no physical media of it. Even then, it won't last forever. Like, well, go and try to forever, yeah. read a floppy disk from 20 years ago. Yeah. First, good luck finding a a floppy disk that fits on your computer. Second, good luck finding a disk that hasn't aged. I I mean, I can 
I can do that because I do have, I got my normal Windows 10 PC and then I got a Windows XP machine which has a floppy disk drive, which works. I, I have some floppy disks that read. And I, you magnificent man, you have an old computer that still works. I can yeah. transfer the floppy disk data onto the <laughs> Windows XP machine and then by USB, take that to the Windows 10 PC. So, haha, checkmate. <laughs> I'm a bit disappointed I threw away my uh, my case of blank floppies. Oh. I was like, I'll never need these again. Then I got into <laughs> retro computers. Uh-huh. Oopsies. Yeah. <laughs> so I got a question for you guys. So do you reckon this is the end of game development in terms of seeing Flash games go- going down? As in small browser-based games? Yeah. No. No. Um, There's H- HTML5. Yeah. Uh, I.O. games, which are usually JavaScript. Unity whole- <laughs> has a web player. Unreal probably has a web player. The whole, the whole reason that like JavaScript died in the first place was because HTML5 came out and JavaScript and all these other coding languages became just so much more accessible, right? And they are monumentally a thousand times more powerful than JavaScript. Uh, words than um, Flash was ever going to be. Like HTML5, you can build renderers into it. You can do shaders. You can do so much. Um, so like actual browser, I mean, not even that. You got Unity, Unity's API packages. So you run Unity games in your browser and stuff. Like yeah, you could you. It's like two clicks to get a game out of Unity into a browser format. Yeah, like there is so many opportunities now to do browser-based games. It's probably just going to expand. I reckon. Um, it's not definitely not going to die. At least. Well, at least for a while, the internet's still around. Yeah. And I think it'll probably take off because browsers are getting more efficient so you can fit bigger and better games in there. Yes. And Plus. it's so easy to develop for them and distribute. You don't need mm-hmm. to download, you just run the game. And you can also run uh, VR, VR applications from your browser as well. Yeah, I'm a bit worried by that. I keep getting um, websites I go to keep popping up alerts in Firefox saying this website wants to access uh, Facebook VR. <laughs> I don't even have a VR headset. I'm not giving you that access. And it's like some news site. Yeah, I mean, there's there's probably, I'll just quickly shout out this one real quickly. It's like there's one, probably my favorite uh, completely online the VR application is by Mozilla, obviously Firefox developers, and they've done an online VR, uh, like, basic playroom for meetings and stuff. Plus, you can import your own assets and things into that online environment in real time. It's really cool. Called Mozilla Labs, I believe. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to uh, look that up. That sounds fun. 100% free. And, yeah, it's just a, it's a really neat little thing you can do. And you use your mobile a VR headset or just your PC. So, a little shout out there. So that's what I mean. That's probably what I say the future of online applications is in terms of games and entertainment software. So, with Congregate going, what do you reckon the future of other Flash sites would be like, though, with, like, for example, Newgrounds and Mini Clips and whatnot? You reckon they'll, they'll catch, um, they'll be going soon or? Uh, I, I'm, I say some of them, yes, definitely. The smaller ones. Newgrounds has shifted to online media in general, uh, especially focused around uh, drawing and stuff. So they're fine. They've just re- recently updated the website, ready for the changes anyway. It looks really nice. Uh, websites like Armor Games and stuff, I don't know. I, I'm i guessing some of them are going to move towards HTML5 development and games based on that platform. But I mean, a majority of those websites, they're old, they lack of the resources, and are probably going to die very soon. Yeah. By the way, um, you guys got any uh, favorite games from Congregate? I have to be honest, I never used it when it back in the day, so no. <laughs> yeah, it's been long enough that I don't remember. Ah. 
so you know it's not that i miss these games and want to go back and play them it's that i'm going to be sad to see them go for the historical value i want them to be preserved for you know because so much of the early internet is gone Mm -hmm. and i want to be able to go back and look at it again when i'm 50 (laughs) yeah i mean some of it survives but yeah like it's all money it's the internet you can't just have something sitting there right because internet doesn't work by having something sitting there right it's got to be moving which in the form is obviously a physical uh magnetic disc so the more it spins the more it dies so unlike a piece of media which can just sit there like a book and then they read a hundred years down the track websites and stuff just aren't going to survive and one day internet archives won't be able to store every single web page in existence it's literally it'll just feasibly get too expensive so they already cool. can't. Like, already there was can't a big one. Break. Yeah, so they don't. I don't think they try to capture every website. But um, there was a big one that went down uh, just uh, last week, I think. Slate Star Cortex Codex, which is a, a blog by a uh, psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And uh, last week, he got a letter from a. Well, uh, he spoke to a reporter who was basically going to dox him. His. Uh, Online personality is a fake name. And the New York Times reporter was going to give out his real name. And he decided, you know what, I'm done. I can't um, can't risk anyone finding out, so I'm going to shut down my blog. And it's gone. Years of blog posts about philosophy and everything, just gone. Yeah, that's, that's instant for you, unfortunately. But that's what we live in. It's something we're going to for all come to terms with in the future, especially... It's going to be weird because for marketing agencies in general as well, because um, with how the internet's affected the global, I guess, capital society in a way, because, okay, so your 80s and 90s, you understood nostalgia waves because you would always be able to market, right? But these days, once we come to the 2020s, no, yeah, the 2010s nostalgia wave, which will be in like 30 years time, right? Trying to find the media which was representative of that decade would be, I believe, difficult considering just servers in general, right? Yeah, and like I mentioned earlier, the floppy disks, they're getting harder to find, and they're not the most shelf-stable. Yeah, but the thing is, floppy disk and old retro game consoles, they were physical. But the second you have a game, like, let's just do Fortnite. It's a a comparison we can understand. It's a fully online (laughs) game, right? So the second the servers go down, it is useless. Likewise for the new console generation with the consoles without disk drives. So the second the servers go down, they're useless, which means... Unlike how you can go back and probably fix up your old Super Super Nintendo and get it working again and play those games, right? You can't do that, even if you did try fixing up those these current new generation in 30 years' time, because the systems won't be there. No, okay, I, mean, I wanted to make the point that this um, this Slate Star Codex site was taken off archive.org. Looks like I was wrong. It's still there. <laughs> but if he wants to, he can have it taken down. Yeah. He just got to write to the maintainers and say... I want my site taken off. Or not even that, you put a, a little comment in the robots.txt on your website and archive.org picks up on that and takes it out. Mm. Now, I understand they never delete anything. They just hide it until the uh, the copyright period expires. But and co- knowing copyright, they last a very, very long. Yeah, American copyright is horrible. <laughs> Screw you, Mickey. Yeah, pretty much, eh? <laughs> Uh-huh. Yep. Disney have done everything they can to push out copyright to the point that it's now uh, almost 100 years after publishing yeah. before it becomes public domain, which means that like 
copyright was invented to make sure that a an author or creator could get you know, could profit from their work and provide for their family. So uh, it used to be like life of the author or seventy years, whichever is more. Mm. And then they, uh, yeah, well, even before that, it was shorter. So they just keep dragging it out. And it's now like 90 years since it was published, if you're lucky. Mm. So on January 1st, I think, uh, Gutenberg, Project Gutenberg, that archives public domain books, they have a big uh, sort of welcome to the public domain day where they celebrate the stuff that came out that year mm-hmm. or that, well, becomes public domain that year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, mm-hmm. but we've gone right off the rails. Yep. <laughs> we have. Yep. DJ uh... heard your cats. <laughs> so, uh... Speaking of going off the rails and whatnot, uh, Debbie Boy, you got a story about Atari. And oh, yeah. Uh, this we'll is... work on the segues. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can, I can pick this up. Going right off the rails? Well, Atari, they're currently flying off. I guess we basically describe the internal politics of this current situation. So, Atari, um, basically been useless for the last 30 years. But before that, they made the 2600 and were basically one of the pioneers of the modern game development industry. Very important until they weren't and died. But then obviously their name has been chucked around, you know, being bought. It's like a dead body that's been hanging out to dry from multiple different companies that have bought the name over the years and rebranded to become like, hey guys, we're Atari, you remember us? So in this latest incarnation, we've got a new company that has decided to make an Atari console. This is called the Atari VG, uh, VCS, excuse me. Um, so it's basically a next-gen console, which is going to be released alongside the PS5 and, P- and Xbox Series X. Um, and it's going to boast in the newest games ever developed. But one slight issue. This new console costs $389 US, which in the, uh, Australian dollars right now, I know our exchange rate isn't good, but that's over $557 for a console, which basically is the same specs as a Wii, a Wii U around that era. <laughs> What the heck? What, and, <laughs> what and a deal. <laughs> has no games currently developed for it, apart from one that's been made in-house that was released already like two years ago. And some of the games they said they'll be released for it, which they are testing out. In fact, the developers didn't even know they were being developed for the system. Oh, no. So, uh, yeah, welcome to your new Atari home console, which, okay, even more news. So, uh, a higher ups at Atari basically say they brought these ton of software developers and engineers to help develop the console, right? But the higher ups kept making very bad decisions and telling them what to do stuff when they knew what they were doing because it's their job. And basically, it's running a Linux you know, OS, but they were told not to make their own version of it to so have their own operating system uh, variant, right? So there's basically no security. So if you release a game for the, the VCS, you can pirate it with everyone in the world. There is literally no lock. <laughs> you have free reign to do whatever you want with that software. There is not a single check. There is no marketplace. You can install whatever. So it's basically a 2010 PC for the right old price of half a thousand dollars Australian. So, <laughs> wow. 500 bucks for a 2010 PC. Let's, let's just go. That's let's a just steal. Go on, <laughs> let's just go on some specs. We've got an AMD uh, Riven Ridge. Uh, that's, our, that's our main processor. We've got uh, Vega 3... I, I'm not good at spelling today, I'm sorry. We've got basically uh, Vega 3 graphics. We've got 8 gigabytes of DDR4 RAM, 32 gigabytes of 
um, internal flash storage and the device yeah, runs the Linux disk show. You can install Windows, SteamOS or Chrome OS from a booting external drive. Has Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, USB ports 2.0, not even Type-C or 3. It's 2.0. Okay, and quad USB 3.1 connectors, but still no Type-C, which is really weird considering it's a next-gen console. Um, yeah, so that is what you're basically getting. So uh, I, I was re- watching Review Tech USA earlier day, and he did a good comparison, which I'm going to steal. It's pretty, so you're paying as much money for a console, which is basically no near as powerful as a smartphone. Now, obviously, <laughs> smartphone these days are quite powerful, but still, you would hope a next-gen console would be a lot more powerful than that. And uh, I know I'm ranting and raving now, but I just don't understand. It is such a why. <laughs> there is so many wrong decisions here. I'm going to try to be optimistic. <laughs> it looks like it's nice and hackable, so you might get a um, like a nice media center PC and a, a cute Atari box. But but it's five hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's inexcusable. <laughs> yeah. That's the issue, though. You can get a Raspberry Pi three or four and have a lovely media center for like thirty bucks. <laughs> I can imagine like some uh, someone's gonna buy this and sell this on Facebook Marketplace for like five five thousand dollars. Oh, this is a very very rare Atari console. Well, I, be- I believe there's already been um there's or- they've already got shipping dates to put it on Amazon and GameStop in America. I don't know EB Games in Australia. Oh, but no. it's going to retail in stores. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah. Honestly, don't know who's going to buy this. Yes, likewise. <laughs> like, I, no. I was honest, sorry. I was honestly hyped for this when it first came out. I was like, oh my God, Atari's really going to get, you know, do their A game. They're going to try and come back and be a new, you know, lead in the, lead in the console wars. Nope. <laughs> I was wrong. If this is some sort of money issue, what they should have done is release a Atari Mini and. They already have know, one. Is that okay? There's, there's like so many third-party ones that they license out. There's already like tons of minis. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Atari and like the old uh, 2600, guess what? The One of the first games you'll get with a system pre-bundled. Which one? A hundred classic Atari games. <laughs> oh, your $500 <laughs> console. I can play Asteroids. In 4K. Does it include E.T.? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't released the list, I believe. No, I doubt it. If, but, if, um, if, if ET if ET is with that console, my god, you're going to see a lot of people complaining on YouTube. I can see. Well, I can. Oh, sorry. There's a patched version of ET that fixes a lot of the issues. <laughs> but I was helping my mate restore his. Um, it's called a Light Six Twenty Six Hundred because it's got six uh, toggle switches. But um, they're made out of out of plastic, I think. The Heavy 6 is like the very first generation of Atari 2600. Oh, then there's yeah, the, yeah. the Light 6, which is the second. Then they dropped two of the switches and just made it a four-switch unit and yeah. had a couple of generations. So this is a, a second revision. Way down, yeah. which was basically just the cheap one they released in like 1988, I think it was, just to coincide the NES. And it's like, hey... Here's a cheap, like, $20 console. You can play these. Guys, we still exist. <laughs> please, please let us. Yeah. yeah. So I was helping him restore his um, Atari. And uh, I was looking into it. I was kind of like, I should get a, uh, what, what do you call it? An EverDrive? 
like a flashcard, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking maybe I should get a flashcard and just fiddle with the programming a bit and see what I can make. And it's tiny. You can fit all of the games for the Atari 2600 on nothing. Yeah, I'm literally. sure a savant could memorize the source code to every game. <laughs> <laughs> because you're only working with like 32 kilobytes of RAM. Yep. So... <laughs> Like, it's really easy to emulate, too, because it uses a standard, you know, fairly standard chips. So why why are they doing this? <laughs> and the in-house release game that's coming with it is basically a remastered version of Breakout. Ooh, Breakout. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. There's about three games that are worth playing on there. Yeah. The, the rest are all awful because they're dealing with such <laughs> tiny amounts of RAM. But what do you guys think of the console aesthetically, though? I mean, I'm looking at the console and it looks like a it, it looks like a router. <laughs> yeah, that's classic Atari design, actually. The 2600 had a, uh, a wood grain panel like that. Yeah. I mean, it, it looks... Oh, actually, hang on. Look at the website right now. You don't have to just get the wood panel version. There's wood panel, matte black, and B... Bees? I'm not kidding. Have a look. It is the it's 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 a bee. No, I don't know how else to describe this. Yeah, <laughs> not the bees. <laughs> not the bees. It's called carbon gold, but it looks like a bee pattern. <laughs> that is. <laughs> and they even have the toggle stick job. <laughs> yeah, the controllers were nothing special either. Oh, the original like, Atari controllers yeah. are absolute crap. To put it now, that that's an interesting controller though. The you know, the new one they've gone for standard Xbox 360 layout. In fact, the letters are even in the same layout. <laughs> <laughs> that's an Xbox 360 controller with an Atari badge on it. <laughs> if we, if no one can tell, they we won't get a loss. <laughs> I can see it now. Uh, I think a lawsuit coming up from Microsoft saying, hey, Atari, cease and desist. I hope they've licensed it. Oh, my <laughs> God. Okay, I'm just looking right now. So that the joystick, right? Yeah. Um, our brand new Atari joystick includes rumble, LED light effects, and a two, a, a second... Oh, a second fire button. So you get two fire buttons for Atari games. Hopefully that makes it a bit more ergonomic for left-handers. Yes, definitely. It's always, but I mean, the Rumble, I mean, unless they're going to go in there and program Rumble into all the old Atari games, which I, I if they do, that'll be X cool. X a doubt. Yeah, <laughs> X a doubt indeed. And then, yeah, the controller itself is basically just a normal Bluetooth wireless controller. Um, uh, with, and like most modern controllers, you cannot replace the batteries in it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. This is bullshit. <laughs> I saw a post on Reddit about it earlier that, at least in the current form, yeah, it's non non repairable. What? No, in the in this day and age where everything can be repairable, this is non repairable. What? That's what? a problem. Everything I mean, isn't repairable. Yeah. They're making it harder and harder every year. The only the only controllers that you can replace the batteries in are Xbox Ones. PS, uh, PS PlayStation controllers have been like that since PS3. Yeah, like it makes sense for the Switch because that's such a small form oh, factor. Yeah. Yeah. But PlayStation, Xbox, if you don't have replaceable batteries in that, you're just wasting my time. <laughs> so I, I have a question for you guys. So from a game developer's standpoint with this console, is it a good thing or a bad thing? That's oh, terrible. In, terrible? Oh, yeah. 
because simply there is no lockdown. So you can pirate if someone released a game for the system, you'll be able everyone will be able to pirate and you'll make no money because there is no store. So uh, the only and... way you would make money from the system is you don't make money from the system because you simply have someone install Windows or SteamOS to play games. So simple as that. So basically, the, the Atari, the, this Atari is basically uh, game developers purgatory. Yeah, it's an overpriced Raspberry Pi. <laughs> and it's not even as versatile as a pie. Yeah, it's basically an Ouya. Oh, yeah. no. And I expect the Ouya will have more games for it because yeah. the Ouya was compatible with Android games. This is like, you're not going to go and learn a whole new architecture. Hopefully, uh, like, hopefully the engine makers will release a, um, a plugin for it. But, you know, yeah, average developer isn't going to learn a whole new architecture and release games that are for this. What's this? Okay, I'm just reading there. This is all advertising, so I don't know how true it is. Hang on, what? Okay, play. <laughs> Discover new and classic games on Atari by uh, an by Atari's new open platform powered by AMD Ryzen with Ryzen graphics technology. Stream, watch your favorite web-based streaming videos, entertainment, and play games at 4K resolution, 60fps. Great. Develop new TV-based games and apps for yourself, your family, or to share with the Atari VCS community. Connect. Atari's first connected device opens new possibilities to play with friends and publish your creations as part of an expansive community of gamers, fans, and developers. Yeah. So (laughs) note. Hang on, not done. Sorry. Note in tiny little whiteout text, subscriptions required for advanced services. Atari VCS 800 model features native 4K HDR video. No. I'm I'm done. Yeah, so they're releasing a 400, which is half the RAM. (laughs) So, like, it's all using sort of off the shelf parts. Yeah. Like, that's a, but that's a a Ryzen with integrated graphics. So, you're not going to be making anything groundbreaking. No. It's too expensive to be a hobby. It's like an early 2013 PC, 2010 around there. It's not powerful. What oh. I, when you were saying um, develop your own games, what I was hoping was it would be something a bit like, oh, I'm really hoping it would have something like Scratch on it. That'd be cool. I'm really doubting it will. <laughs> because for that, like, what I'd like to see is being able to plug in a keyboard and mouse and make a game. But for 500 bucks, no way. Yeah, and it gets worse because there's some behind the scenes stuff as well. Like the main developer... Um, like one of the one of the, one of the leads in the developer, uh, the, the developer you know team that helps develop the console. Atari didn't pay him. He came out and said this publicly. He didn't pay him for uh, how much was it? Six months. Oh, and then he left to find other opportunities. And he was very dedicated to the project. But yeah, we're just not going to pay our lead developer on the uh, you know hardware for six months. Yeah. So there's also just a ton of really bad corporate. Oh. Stuff going on behind the scenes. Oh, so they want to play this 4K graphics, right? Yeah. P- PlayStation Pros and Xbox One Xs struggle with 4K. <laughs> and this is nowhere near as powerful as they are. No, it, it, it baffles my mind. I mean, I haven't ever heard about this um, create thing yet. Um, so I don't know if that's just up to marketing or not. I guess we'll see when it finally comes out. But yeah, this is... Uh, you don't have these opportunities very often these days, hey, with uh, new consoles. Not often. I think the last time was the UR. 
Uya, Uya, Uya. When uh, yeah, unfortunately, you can't um, you can't just break into the hardware market easily these days. Well, they had actually a really good. They they could have done it. I mean, they had a lot riding for them, right? They like if they just if they just did a little bit more and tried harder, they could have made it. But because they've got a generally very nice design, they've got a very good controllers from the looks at least. Like it looks very modern, but that's what frustrates me. They should have just if they just tried a little higher and try to make an actual next gen console, right? And built the architecture. Obviously, it needs more money in development, but I mean, the guys who are developing this were willing for it, but the higher ups just didn't care. And it's just it baffles my mind so much. Yeah, yeah. And what's even more frustrating about this is that if they say anything about streaming capabilities, yeah. So. Watch your favorite web-based streaming videos, entertainment, and play games up to 4K resolution 60fps. So, I'm pretty I sure wonder, we can run Netflix on it, sort of. How well will it play Fortnite? <laughs> they, oh, oh, true question. They released a video on YouTube. Did you see this? No, I haven't. Okay, they released a video on YouTube marking it, which literally said, Fortnite running on the Atari VCS. Okay, so... If you're only going to play Fortnite, this is going to be cheaper than an Xbox. <laughs> I can see it now, Ninja playing this. <laughs> Sponsored by Mixer. <laughs> Shall we count all of the uh, abysmal products that have crashed heavily in the last year? Uh, well, uh, I'll count that one straight away. <laughs> Well, at least it will do. At least um, it will do, be more successful than Mixer. But uh, speaking of successes, uh, we've got a story about uh, my friend Pedro, the game, and how it's going to be a TV series now. And I'm what... so hyped. <laughs> Is that the sarcasm, or are you actually no. hyped? I'm genuinely interested in this because the game is so over the top insane. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to see how they try to translate that to TV. Oh, so it's going to be an R-rated half an hour dramedy. Which sounds like it, they could pull it off yeah. because the game is like over the top. It's not particularly violent, I guess, but you do massacre dozens and dozens of gang members. <laughs> So it's under the collaboration of Legendary Television, G- DJ2 Entertainment, and 87 North Productions. Um, and this, this series will be written and, produ- and executive produced by John Wick co-creator Derek Kolstad. And so they've acquired the adaptation um, rights through its first look deal with D- Dimitri R. Johnson's DJ2. And this is the company that produced the Sonic the Hedgehog film adaptation and recently signed on to adapt the video game uh, Disco Elysium for TV. Okay, so we're going to get an absolutely hideous Pedro, then they're going to change him. <laughs> oh. Another Disco Elysium TV show? A Pedro TV show? This is nuts. Yeah. These are like hardcore, like adult games. I'm well, surprised, really. Like, uh, okay. Actually, it makes sense. I was just thinking, because, like, if if someone was going to make a hardcore adult game um, TV series, I mean, it's already been done with Witcher, which I've just realized, but GTA GTA series, like, I'm guessing there'll be so many people clamoring for that license. Uh, that's just the TV show Cops. <laughs> True. Hang on. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm. Oof. But, um, 
it makes sense while the game is like indie mid rear mid range like games the game the game these tv series produced because one the licenses must be a lot more cheaper plus they still have a lot of brand recognition like pedro a lot of people know about that game right no so, not many yeah uh, I, pedro I was be... pretty big when it came out yeah, yeah. kind of flopped quickly because there's not a huge amount of replay to it mm. but um the Disco Elysium, that was a decent hit as well. So I I could really come to enjoy um, some more gritty video game adaptations. Yeah. So um, the um, creator of my friend Pedro, um, Victor Arjun, he basically said, it's hard to find the words to describe the journey this game has taken. And continues on to say, a game, a dream come true would be one way to put it, but in truth, I could have never in a million years ever ever began to imagine to work out the way we ha- they have. The work, uh, work of both Derek Kolstad and David Litch, um, all the way back to stunt days on film like The Matrix, have been a huge influence in shaping my friend Pedro. So to later find them attached to a TV adaptation boggles my mind. Yeah, so they've got a pedigree. Yeah, yeah. My, my biggest question is, will Keanu Reeves voice as Pedro? That would be an interesting uh, cameo. It would be, yes. I mean, I'm guessing the dude's pretty open to cameos these days, considering. Yeah, and I like the one of the sentences here saying, major players in Hollywood have finally taken notice in, to the amazingly rich original worlds created by independent developers from around the world, especially games like the ones Devolver works on that do not have to round off the edges for a mainstream audience. I mean, that's a good, that's a good statement. Yeah, I like it. Like, it it's... I like what they're doing because it's it's in the middle, right? So you're getting a franchise that a lot of people know about, perhaps not everyone, right? And then that means you got room to do creative freedom if you so desire, right? Like you don't need to stick. I mean, granted, my friend Pedro, story-wise, there isn't really much of a story as to say it's just an action, you know, game. But it, they're they're choosing franchises to make TV series of that give them a nice degree of creative freedom and expression. You can't know where I'm coming from. Yeah, I, I see. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, um, my biggest uh, flaw, my biggest concern with this um, whole TV series is how much violence are they going to put it in there, though? Mm. I mean, it depends on the budget. Actually, no, it doesn't really depend on sort of does or not. Kind of, it's like, hmm. like uh, are they going to go balls to the wall, cr- like Tarantino crazy blood bloodiness, I mean, or are they going to go kill? Are they going to do like I oh, yeah, um, no blood? <laughs> I'll be up. I'll be up for bloody as considering, but as long as it's done like in a more sort of over the top cartoony way, yeah. Because you know, like you got to do the fry pan gunplay and stuff, right? So I actually think uh, the Kingsman style would fit well. Yes. Be oh good. yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of over the top acrobatic fight scenes, but it's not hugely uh, like it's violent. People are getting killed, but it's not over the top like a Tarantino movie. I, you know, I, I reckon. I hope we see a lot of Easter egg um, Easter eggs in the TV series, though. Oh, I'm sure they will. I mean, the main thing I see is as long as they do good uh, fight choreography. There, God, words. As long as they do, you know. <laughs> Plan out and do some good fight sequences that aren't just shaky cam twenty four seven. Then, I mean, I think they would do a good job if that's the case. That's my worst. That's my worst fear is if they just do fight sequences and just do it half assed and just do it with shaky cams. Like, look, punch- hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to eighty percent less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This guy, we're going to shake the camera like crazy now. Oh, man. Is this thrilling? But uh, with uh, my... my- my um my friend Pedro, the biggest selling point was not only the um over the top action shooting violent stuff, it was also the bullet time. So I wonder how much bullet time we're we gonna see in this one as well. Hmm. I'm guessing a pretty decent amount. Obviously done to heighten the tension, but that will I guess be decided when it comes out. I mean Max Payne was the fo- was one of the first few game um game to movie that implemented bullet time. <laughs> Well, actually, Max Payne's... Well, actually, but um, seriously, though, Max Payne began development before The Matrix came out. Ah, um, yeah. So it was more of a coincidence that Bullet Time was actually in there, and it really helped them out, because obviously it helped the general public understand what Bullet Time was really easily. But they began development of Max Payne in 1995. So um, that was a coincidence, and actually those two movies, that movie together and Max Payne, is basically what sparked everyone's obsession with Bullet Time in general. And uh, interestingly, with uh, DJT, DJ2 Entertainment um, we're making Disco Elysium, there are, also, there are other game um, um, TV series adaptations that's coming out, like Life is Strange, Ruiner, uh, Sleeping Dogs, and more. Oh, wow. So I'll, a- I'll be definitely up for Sleeping Dogs, as well as Life is Strange. I think those two make really good TV uh, movies or TV shows. Yeah. Who would you like to see play as Pedro? Max Payne. Oh, hang on. Uh, I think... I, th- I think Kanye Reeves could do it, but I don't reckon they would get him. If the- I would say, honestly, I would say get a actor which isn't well known, because the whole point isn't the actor itself; it's the action, right? So if you get someone who's like really char- uh, charismatic, but is really good at action and doing their own stunts, then I think that could work. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it matters who they get to be the uh, the faceless bandit. Because you play as a guy wearing a mask who never yeah. speaks. Um, but Pedro has to be someone charismatic, someone who can carry the whole movie as a talking banana leading <laughs> a guy through killing dozens of gang members. I think I found him. Ryan Reynolds. Oh, boy. Ryan Reynolds <laughs> would probably take the role. <laughs> Let's do motion capture banana suit technology. <laughs> no, not even motion capture. He's just wearing, like... A banana suit, like a mascot costume. Oh, God. And they just <laughs> superimpose him onto the scene. Try not to give them ideas, please. <laughs> it's like, okay, Ryan, you're you're dressing you're dressing up as Pedro and, but you're voicing Deadpool. <laughs> oh, no. oh, that that would be a very bad combo. It'll be interesting, definitely. But uh yeah. That would be that would be certainly a, a sight to behold. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, speaking of sights to behold, uh, a recent article has come out where a video showing how dead neurons are removed has been um, ext- uh, there. Sorry, the words <laughs> displayed. It's affecting you as well. It's yep. spreading. <laughs> yep, it's spreading. Professor fast. had it last week. It's got. I got it. He he improved. Now I'll bring it back. <laughs> I'm hoping I've got immunity. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, we've already known that our brains have a waste disposal system that keeps the dead and toxic neurons from clogging up our biological pathways. So scientists have managed to capture a video of the process for the first time, but it's uh, tested on mice. 
So there's a lot we don't know about how dead neurons are cleared out. And so new research have, could be the significant step forward in figuring out some of that some of that out, and even if we are not yet confirmed that the human brain works in the same way. Now, this is going to be interesting. This is uh, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, the last couple of years have been a lot of firsts, especially like the first black hole and the first now, uh, the first capture of dead neurons in the brain's inner workings in a sense. I mean, it helps prove that theory of how, not theory, but it helps the general public get a better understanding of how sleep affects us and obviously there's still a long ways to go but there's definitely a large step towards um how, just getting a better understanding of how sleep and our cycle our brain works yeah i yeah. do like uh dr grudsendler's uh, description of it rather than hitting the brain with a hammer and causing thousands of deaths inducing a single cell to die allows us to study what is happening right after the cells start to die <laughs> <laughs> Wow! Yeah. Oh, way to go. That's one way. That's one way to make a statement. Yep. <laughs> I like his ending. This this was not possible before. We are able to show that with great clarity what exactly is going on and understand the process. It's like now with 4K resolution. Coming to you on Netflix this summer. Neurons, the new hit sitcom. <laughs> But uh, it's interesting how um, we haven't really explored much of the mind in all these years. Yeah. And the human mind is the greatest. Well, yeah, greatest. The greatest, like, it's a difficult beast. Yeah. It's still, it's a hard thing to understand. And uh, they said another interesting finding from the research was that older mouse brains were less effective in, less, less efficient at cleaning out dead neural cells, even though the garbage removal cell seems to be just as aware that a dying cell was there. Hmm. Yeah. So is that like related to Alzheimer's or dementia or is that just a red herring? I think it's a red herring, but well, Alzheimer's is associated with uh, beta amyloid plaques and they're obviously different to cleaning out cells. But I wonder if there's some defect in the uh, in the glial cells, which are the cleaners that leads to certain conditions like that. It could be a sign of wear and tear, though, from a glial cell standpoint. I mean, uh, uh, like when you're when you're young and when, when you're young and fit, like uh, your your glial cell, every everything in your entire body is f- like ready and supercharged. But as you as you grow older, like your body, it's like wear and tear. Like that could be that could be one aspect to think about. Um, but it is a good opportunity for further research and could give experts insight into how older brains start to fail in various ways. As the garbage disposal service starts to slow down or even breaks. Ugh. Yeah, I mean it's a Alzheimer's last time is not fun. It's it's a very haunting fact to know that your brain eats itself in a way, hey. Yeah. I'm just wondering how would stem cell research come into this then? Um like because normally stem cell research would be would help out would help out in the um, process of um, healing well not really healing but abating symptoms of like uh, Parkinson's and dementia and whatnot. How would stem cells come in, come to play on this in this element? That'd be a good question to ask. Maybe uh, stem cells can be used to boost the glial cells as they age and make them more efficient. Yeah, well, create more efficient glial cells and replace the uh, the less effective ones. And I wonder also how would the brain would this would also put into some good insight into how a person how a person's brain would react um in a coma. True. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, there are a lot more. This has only just been a breakthrough, so they still need to do a lot more testing. And I hope this helps in the future get a bit understanding. Yeah, yeah. As I understand it, also, when you sleep, the um, the ch- fluid channels in your brain open up. So I wonder if that helps flush away the um, well, the leftovers from having your brain like clean itself out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're saying here cell death is a very common di- common in diseases of the brain. Says uh, neurologist Yimisi Damisa from the Yale School of Medicine. Understanding the process might yield results on to how to address cell death in an injured brain from head trauma to stroke and other conditions. And uh, I'll, I'll put the research article on the show notes as well for those who are very mm. curious in the technical side of things. So what do you reckon? You reckon this, this maybe nanites might, uh, might hold the key into in- injuring the, in- into repairing um, the cells and stuff? Perhaps, perhaps not. I think more research needs to be done. I mean, I'm no expert in this topic, far from my field, but I think what I'll say is whatever can help. My, I think the main focus should be is anything that can help reduce or reverse the effects of Alzheimer's will be the greatest step. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Sure. Yeah, I hope that um, Alzheimer's affects a lot of people. I hope it, well, not even just Alzheimer's, dementia in general. Hmm. So I hope this is the first step towards helping those people. Yeah, that's true. Anyways, uh, so Professor, what game have you been playing? I'm still playing Outer Wilds. <laughs> Can't get enough of it, can you? No, I unfortunately haven't had a lot of time to play this week, but uh, when I have, I've been playing Outer Wilds because I'm, I just love exploring. <laughs> I haven't. I reckon I'm about maybe ninety percent of the way through. The main uh, areas that I have to explore that I'm aware of uh, seem to be sort of end game areas. They're a lot harder to get to. I still give it five out of five for the, uh, the gorgeous soundtrack and the sense of exploration, though. Nice, nice. So, it's, have you found any any new um, errors in the game, or? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of places I hadn't been yet, and um, yeah, after we recorded last week, I have been to a couple of new places. Yeah, um, I don't want to spoil it, obviously, though. Uh, it's a uh, exploration base, so spoiling it would kind of defeat the purpose. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Debbie boy, what have you been playing this week? I've been boring and played nothing, but I have <laughs> been playing one game. That's the game of life. Ha <laughs> ha. No. Uh, Busy week doing a game jam, so I haven't had time to play any games, unfortunately. I uh, want to dive more into Alex, but um, yeah, can't say. Sorry about that. Oh, Debbie boy, <laughs> did not oh, play so game. Which, which jam are you in? Uh, QT game jam. So nothing big. It's just, just a local one. Nice. Yeah, I've been productive. <laughs> he is adulting. Yeah, what a what a boring person. <laughs> Being productive. <laughs> I feel physically hurt. <laughs> uh, don't worry, I've got a job. I know how it feels. <laughs> um, I've been playing Minion Masters, and that's a very interesting game. It's basically uh it's basically a tower defense card game. Post up the link. Yeah. So yeah. Is, it, is this is this a actual card game or is it it's a video game? It's a uh it's a video game. Yeah. Okay. I'm taking to clarify. Are you living in the Matrix? Oh no, I've I've taken the blue pill. Oh crap! <laughs> All right, but yes. Yeah, so it's a card game, and 
So it's a video game based card game. So I forgot the link. You can have a look at the nice trailer that's that's featured in this game. Ooh. But yeah, so it's a, a, ta- a tower defense game, one on one, or you can do two on two, and you have epic battles um, in in this game. Uh, you can like like you, there are so many cards you collect, and it depends on and also depends on how good the other player is. But uh, yeah, this one's interesting where you can summon like various um minions to try and defeat the other tower before they defeat you basically it's kind of like overlord is it a, a tower defense yeah yeah um and the, you also have to um have a lot of mana as well and some of the character designs are pretty cool to look at so hmm. so so obviously there's a lot of card games out there currently like you've got hearthstone you've got well I think it's dead at this point. Anthem, <laughs> not Anthem. Hang on, that's another game is dead. Uh, so that's a Moles one Valve made um, artifact. That's it. <laughs> so artifact. These, I yeah. How does this compare to those ones? Ooh, compared to these ones, um, it's just more of the action, and I will say this: there are there are a lot with with all the other card games. It's there's not much difference except for the whole tower defense uh, mechanic. The annoying part about this game um, with all the other card games is the microtransactions. There oh, are a lot yeah. of microtransactions. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, speaking of microtransactions for one second, I won't make this tangent too long. Like, I understand why Anthem people were against it, but I kind of found it a little weird because, like, the game is technically free, but you got to buy the, the, the card packs for, no, for artifacts, right? But it's like what you do in real life. So you buy the actual card pack and then you get the game for free because you bought the cards to now play in the game. So, well, maybe the game was paid, but still, it's like, I don't know. I felt it sort of worked, but because it was a video game, it didn't fit. But that's my little rant such tangent over. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I would uh, give this game, uh, I'll give this game a three out of five because it's, it it, ha- it it is fun to play with, like if you if you want like some time to burn, but it's not like a big big, not like anything big to com- accomplishment kind of thing. Yeah, but yeah. Um, so moving on to our shoutouts on the second of July, twenty twenty, Airplane is forty years old. Uh, the tirelessly joke joke packed nineteen eighty film might have dated in some ways, but its relentless desire to amuse still makes it un makes it an undeniable winner. The puns, pratfalls, provocations, foreground, background dynamics, devil on tundras, uh, reference to film and TV and popular commercials, random acts of silliness and absurdity, and every possible strain of which what could be later be categorized as a dad joke. <laughs> and you know, it's like not even an original plot. Yeah. They ripped off the plot from a, a serious disaster movie <laughs> and then were like, okay, this plot needs more stupid jokes. <laughs> But then Jake Paul ripped off Aeroplane and made his own comedy on Aeroplane. We don't what? talk about that. Wait, what? The <laughs> continues. There is an awful Jake Paul movie which rips off Aeroplane. No. No, I, I, okay, I gotta watch this and I gotta No, you at- don't. Save yourself. <laughs> okay, There's, okay, I, I got a question. Yeah. Does, does Jake Paul plays the role of Leslie Nielsen? There is no oh. Leslie Nielsen characters, only just in- influences and oh. sexual jokes the first oh. five seconds you're in. Ah, oh. oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, it's called Airplane Mode. Oh, oh what the hell? <laughs> yeah, and the plot is that the um, characters in the on the plane refuse to switch their phone off and it causes 
bad things to happen. Which, uh, D- DJ, stop. C- come, come, cringe with me at the this poster. At this poster. <laughs> yeah, the poster <laughs> is a knockoff of the original airplane poster. But no! Instead of the plane being tied in knots, it's stabbing. What the hell was that? No, that is a. Gonna... Cr- there's, there's a there's a crime against humanity. I think we're getting extra extra mental, you know, crisis here. <laughs> I think he, mm. uh, okay, uh, I, 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 okay. Somebody, please. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah, um, this movie uh, rarely has a film so eager to please been so successful in doing so, and yet as easy as it might be to tally up eighty-seven minutes of laughs or marvel at a high bat. High battling average of its creative team, David and Jerry Zucker and Jim Abram, better known as Zucker, Abram Zucker, which is acronym of Zaz. <laughs> the no-jokes are a key part of what makes it work, uh, which it's uh, an example of it is the casting of Leslie Nielsen, who, as an onboard physician, tends to, um, who tends to sick passengers while giving Stryker the uh, occasional pep talk. <laughs> So a few American comedies cast the longest shadow and the irony of a movie that's stitched together almost entirely out of other movies, holding up as something singular and even foundational is precisely the sort of paradox you want in the work of art. Um, On the 3rd of July 2020, Back to the Future is 35 years old. So uh, 35 years ago, Back to the Future hits theaters. The movie proved to be a tremendous hit in its days. It grossed a staggering $381 million at a global box office. The time-traveling tale of Doc Ock, Doc Brown, playing uh, played by Christopher Lloyd, and Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox, resonated in a way few movies have ever um, played before or since. Back to the Future 2 and Back to the Future 3 were released in 1989 and 1990, respectively. The sequels have earned plenty of love over the years, but they simply can't match the magic of the original. What's the one thing you miss You miss from the first Back to the Future? Hmm. The original Back to the Future? Yeah. I think, okay, can I, can I just say the trilogy in general? This is the one thing I miss. And that's the amazing effort they went to to make everything work together. Like, the continuity of scene like filmmaking from that standpoint is something i miss and that's a, that's a part of the original film because it plays in the second the sequel as well because they both filmed them side by side in terms no actually no hang on sorry i was really wrong part two and three were filmed side by side part one and two are different because they had to redo one of the scenes for part one and inside part two with a different yeah. actor yeah yeah they lost the actress who played marty's girlfriend so they picked up some other actress and refilmed the end scene so that they could just slot her in and be like, she totally looks the same. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? Oh, okay. Huh. So, they yeah, replaced- so that end scene where they, um, at the end of the first movie, where they hop in the car and fly off. Yeah. They redid that with a new actress in the sequel. Huh, and okay. then don't they just knock her out and not actually include her in the movie anyway? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, and they also, uh, if I recall, they also changed the lead actor from Mike. It was originally um, Crispin Glover to Michael J. Fox as well. Wasn't it I... Eric Stoltz? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, Crispin Glover. Or the, so this is um, number two, by the way. With, num- um, with the number no, no, two. Number one. No, number one. Yeah, yeah number yeah, yeah. one. They started filming with Eric Stoltz. Yeah, that's right. Then switched yeah. over to Martin, um, Michael J. Fox. Michael, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what, what was there a reason why they changed it though. Like they uh, originally wanted Marty, uh, not Marty, uh, Michael. <laughs> See, because, we're both calling him Marty now. <laughs> yeah, but he was uh, wrapped up in a filming of another the t- series he was currently in. 
right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Family ties. So they went along. <laughs> it's Christian Glover, right? No, Eric yeah. Stoltz. Eric Stoltz, okay. So they went along with him, but it just wasn't working. So they both agreed that it, so they did some test shots of him and tried to start the filming, but it just didn't work. And then eventually they managed to get the dispute between the uh, license holder of um, Michael's contract. And then they were able to finally go ahead and actually film with him. Yeah, okay. but he was filming both things at the same time for a while. Yeah. Which uh, just about killed him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so Crispin Glover played uh, George McFly. Ah, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Oh, so I... they, in the sequel, they had to replace Crispin Glover and Claudia Wells. See, what's the one thing from Back to the Future that you love? Like, I love the DeLorean. That will never, that will never um, be replaced. Hmm. I love the part where the idea of a horrible person like Donald Trump being president was a funny <laughs> joke. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I think my favorite part will just be a relationship between Ma- um, Marty and Doc. Yeah. It's yeah. weird, but it's just work. And then um, Rick and Morty takes that relationship and utterly perverts it. <laughs> Please don't make this ruin. <laughs> you know the um, pilot for Rick and Morty was a short called Doc and Marty. Yeah, I know. I've seen it. It's <laughs> it's uh it's something. Don't watch it with the kids. Ah. <laughs> uh... So uh, moving along, uh, 3rd of July 2020, Kyo Animation to stream the memorial video on Fire's anniversary um, on July 18th. So they posted, Kyo Animation has posted a notice on its website on Friday that it will stream the memorial video on its YouTube channel on July 18th to mark the one-year anniversary of the devastating fire that burned down the Studio Studio One building, killing 36 people and injuring 33. It'll be streamed in Japanese only at... Uh, 10.30 a.m. Japanese Standard Time and will be available throughout the day after the streaming. Uh, no further visits on... No further... The notice further states that uh, plans for a memorial visit has been cancelled due to the COVID and condolence gifts will be declined as well. On the uh, 4th of July 2020, Earl Cameron passes away at 120. Uh, he was one of the first black actors to break into significant roles in British cinema. Cinema. He was appointed commander of the Order of the British Empire in 2009, uh, Queen's Queen's New Year's Honours. Uh, he was uh, assistant for James Bond in Thunderball, uh, a black astronaut in Doctor Who on the series um, The Dark Man, where, uh, yeah, he was the first, like, as I said earlier, first black um, actor to play the astronaut. He died at home in um, Ke- Kenilworth and his children said in a statement, our family has been overwhelmed by the outpourings of love and respect we have received at the news of our father's passing. As an artist as an, and as an actor, he refused to take roles that demanded or stereotyped the character of people of color. He was truly a man who stood by his moral principles and was inspirational. Uh, 6th of July 2020, Ennio Morricone passes away at 91. He's an Oscar, the Oscar winner whose haunting and inventive scores expertly accentuated the simmer, sh- simmering dialogue-free tension of the spaghetti westerns directed by Ser- Sergio Leone. He composed over 400 scores of cinema and television with over 100 classical works. His score to The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is considered one of the most influential soundtracks in history and was inducted into the Grammy Hall of, Fla- oh, Hall of Fame. It, his filmography includes seven award-winning films, all of them, all Sergio Leone's films, including A Fistful of Dollars, um, all of Giuseppe Ta- Torna- uh, Tornatore films um, since Car- 
Cinema Paradiso, and other films such as Lip, The Professional, The Thing, The Mission, The Untouchables, In the Line of Fire, and The Hateful Eight. Uh, in 2007, he received an Academy Honorary Award for his contributions to the film music, and he was nominated for six Oscars. Um, and in 2016, won an Oscar for um, for a score in the movie The Hateful Eight, becoming the oldest person to win the competitive Oscar um, statue. He also influenced many artists from the film from film scoring to other styles and genres, including ha- um, Hans Zimmer, Dire Straits, Muse, Metallica, and Radiohead. He died from complications following a fall, which he broke a leg in Rome, Italy. I still love his soundtrack, I, w- I will say that. Uh, now to our remembrances. Uh, 6th of July, 1476, Reggio Mont- Montanus, uh, Johann von Konigsberg, better known as Reggio Montanus, mathematician, astrologer, and astronomer of the German Renaissance, active in Vienna, Buda, and Nuremberg. His contributions were instrumental in the development of Copernican heliocentrism in the decades following his death. Uh, he was one of the first few people to um, make a textbook presenting the current state of trigonometry, and in it he wrote, You who wish to study great and wonderful things, who wonder about the movement of the stars, must read these theorems about triangles. Knowing these ideas will open the door to all the all of astronomy and to certain geometric problems. That that's a great intro to the book. When you agree, fellas? I wish there were more books that sounded that that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's definitely. I, if, if every book's open like that, I would get more into reading. <laughs> Can you imagine if someone wrote like the Bible like that? Like you wish to study the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so um a pro- he was also uh, famous for building a portable sundial for Pope John Pope Paul II. Wow, a watch he even made a watch. Great well, must have been a great watch. So uh a prolific author Regium Montanus was uh, inter- internationally famous in his t- um lifetime. He despite having completed only a quarter of what he had intended to write, he left a substantial body of work. Nicholas Copernicus's teacher Dominicio Maria Novar Novara de, Fer- de Ferreira referred to Reginomus as being his own teacher. The crater Regimontanus on the moon is named after him. He died from unknown causes at the age of 40 in Rome. Uh, on the 6th of July, 1535, Sir Thomas More, uh, more venerated in, Catholic, in the Catholic Church as St. Thomas More, was an English te- lawyer, philosopher, author, statesman, and noted Renaissance. He served at um, he also served Henry VIII as Lord High Chancellor of England from October 1529 to, to May 1532. Uh, Moore opposed Henry VIII's separation from the Catholic Church, refusing to acknowledge Henry as supreme head of the Church of England and the annulment of his marriage to Catherine of Aragon. Um, after refusing to take the oath of supremacy, he was convicted of treason. And then uh, in 1935, Pope Pius XI canonized Moore in, as a martyr, and Pope John Paul II in 2000 declared him as a patron saint of statesmen and politicians. Oh, and I've, I bet you Thomas More must be going, oh, all these politicians right now, I wish I can uh, get rid of them all. Um, the, uh, p- there was a play written after uh, portraying Thomas More as a tragic hero, and the title of, of it is called A Man for All Seasons. And the title was drawn from a author by the name of Robert Whittington, which he basically says, I know not of this fellow, for where he where is the man of the gen- of that gentleness, lowliness, and affability, and in as time requireth a man of marvelous mirth and past pastimes. 
and sometimes of sad gravity, a man for all seasons. Um, on his ex- so he was executed at the age of 57 in London. On his execution, he was reported to have said, I died the, king- the king's good servant and God's first. Um, 6th of July 2002, John Frankenheimer, American film and television director known for social dramas and action suspense films, among his credits was The Manchurian Candidate, the 1962 version, uh, Ron- Ronin and Reindeer Games. Frankenheimer's 30 fil- feature films and over 50 plays for television were notable for their influence on contemporary thought. He became a pioneer of the modern-day political th- thriller, having begun his career at the peak of the Cold War. He was technically highly accomplished from his days in live television. Many of his films were noted for creating psychological dilemmas for his male protagonists along with having a strong sense of environment similar in styles to films by director Sidney Lumet, for for whom he had early worked on as assistant director. He developed a tremendous um, propensity for exploring political situations, which would ensnare his characters. He uh, died from stroke due to complications following spinal surgery at the age of 72 in Los Angeles, California. And interestingly, uh, John Frankenheimer was the director behind the 1996 disaster movie. Well, not really a disaster movie as a genre, but a disastrous movie, The Island of Dr. Moreau. You guys heard of that that movie before? Can't say I have. Uh, I haven't, but I've read the H.G. Wells book it's based on. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I've heard of it. I haven't seen that. The 1996 movie is a very of Dr. Moreau. It's a very tragic movie in terms of Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando butting each other and fighting in that movie. Like behind the scenes, was very terrible. It was. It got to this point where I think one of the actresses left the left left the stage and hurt and um hit and went to Sydney and the. I think one of her assistants had to take, had to um, grab her and drive all the way from Sydney to to where it was filmed, which was at Cairns. I mean, damn, that's one heck of a drive. Uh, so uh, moving along on the for the famous birthdays, sixth uh, of July, eighteen eighty-seven, Annette Kellerman, Annette K- uh, Maria Sarah Kellerman, Amer- Australian professional swimmer, vaudeville star, film actress, and writer. Kellerman was the was one of the first women to wear a one-piece bathing suit instead of the then-accepted pantaloons and inspired others to follow her example. Uh, Kellerman's swimming costumes became so popular that she started her own fashion line of one-piece bathing suits. She popularized the sport of synchronized swimming and authored a swimming manual. And uh, she appeared in several movies, using uh, usually with aquatic themes. And as a star of A Daughter of the Gods was the first major was the first major actress to appear nude in a Hollywood production. And uh, yeah, she was, uh, she used the, she advocated for the right, for, for the right of women to wear the Kellerman suit after being arrested for indecency in, the, in 1907. And uh, the most majority of movies had themes of aquatic adventures and she performed her own stunts, including diving from 19, 92 feet from into the sea and 60 feet into a pool of crocodiles. And she was also a prominent mermaid actress as well. And she yeah. even made... You know, um, the history of Australian competitive swimsuits is really interesting. The Australian team was the first team... Uh, the Australian swimming team invented freestyle, the, like the, the stroke that you use in freestyle. Yeah. They were the first team to shave their body hair to swim faster. 
<laughs> I thought that was an urban myth. Well, it's in a Dr. Carl book, so <laughs> he usually knows most of what he's talking about. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, so she was born in Merrickville, New South Wales. On the uh, 6th of July, 1817, Albert von Kolicker. Uh, born Rudolf Albert Kolicker was a Swiss anatomist, physi- uh, a physiologist, and histologist. Kolicker made contributions to the study of zoology. His early efforts were directed to the invertebrates, and his memoir on the development of cephalopods is considered of classical work. He soon passed on to vertebrates and studied the amphibians and mammalian em- embryos. He was among the first, uh, if not the very first, to introduce the branch of biological inquiry, the new microscopic techniques the method of hardening, sectioning, and staining. Uh, Kolika's contributions to histology were widespread. Smooth muscles, striated muscles, skin, bone, teeth, blood vessels, and viscera were all investigated by Kolika, and he touched none of them without discovering new truths. A li- species of lizard, Hy- Hylosaurus colicari, is named in his honor. He was born in Zurich. On the 6th of July, 1785, William James Hooker. So William James Hooker, English biologist and botanical illustrator, the standard author abbreviation Hook is used to indicate this person as the author while citing a botanical name. He studied mosses, liverworts, and ferns and published a monograph on a graph of liverworts, British Jungamaniae in 1816. Come on, say that again. <laughs> British Jungamaniae. Again? <laughs> no, really? I've never heard it, but I think it's probably Junga Mane, Manie, maybe. Yeah. But yeah. I've never heard of that plant before, so. <laughs> so uh, Banks later offered Hooker um, the use of his own papers with the materials along with surviving parts of his own journey. His good memory aided him in publishing the accounts of the island, its inhabitants, and flora. His a journal of a tour of in Iceland was privately circulated in 1811 and published two years later. Uh, now, he... just uh, yeah, skip the line there. The reason why he had to borrow paper from Banks was because his own equipment was destroyed in a uh, mutiny attempt by Danish prisoners. Ah, uh, yeah. <sighs> so yeah, um, he worked with the lithographer and botanist Thomas Hopkins to establish the Royal Botanical Institution of Glasgow to let and to lay out and develop the Botanic Gardens. Under Hooker, the Botanic Gardens enjoyed remarkable success and became prominent in the Botanic world. The Gardens was his responsibility, and he set to work developing it with the help of his extensive network of friends and acquaintances. Uh, The Botanic Gardens steadily acquired new plants, and often from visiting naturalists and from students who had travelled. His work on the Botanic Gardens resulted in experts expressing the view that Glasgow would not suffer by comparison with any other establishment in Europe. He was born in Norwich. Events of interest. Uh, 6th of July, 1885, Louis Pasteur successfully tests his vaccine against rabies on Joseph Meister, a boy who who was bitten by a rabbit dog. Pasteur... French chemist and biologist began closely studying bacteria whilst investigating the cause of souring in milk and other beverages. This led him to develop the process of pasteurization where a liquid is boiled and cooled to kill the bacteria that caused the souring. Uh, Pasteur also pursued his um, germ theory, which posited that germs attack the body from the outside. Proven right again, his work led to vaccinations that developed from many germ diseases including anthrax, tuberculosis, cholera, and smallpox. 
It also led to further work on rabies, which which was more prevalent in Pasteur's time. And so he developed the vaccine by growing the virus in rabbits, then drying the affected nerve tissue to weaken the virus. And after in- injecting the virus into the boy, he survived and avoided uh, contracting rabies, which would have been certain proved fatal. Good thing it worked. Pasteur was not not a licensed physician and could have been uh, prosecuted for for had the vaccine failed. The legalities were forgotten and Pasteur instead became a national hero. Uh, 6th of July 1940, Story Bridge, a major landmark in Brisbane as well as Australian Australian um, longest cantilever bridge is formally opened. Until it was completed, the bridge was known as the Jubilee Bridge in honour of King George V. It was opened on 6th of July 1940 by Sir Leslie Orme Wilson, uh, governor of Queensland and named after John Douglas Story, a senior influential, a senior and influential public servant who had advocated strongly the bridge's construction. Uh, it was controversial as well as uh, the religious um, institutions had been slighted in the ceremony. Nonetheless, the speech of the governor was well received and pro- provides a glimpse of the what constituted a successful project in which there was a million two hundred fifty thousand rivets had been driven, seven thousand gallons of zinc paint were put on, four hundred fifty men had been employed, and only three fatal accidents have occurred. Like that's scary close to a one percent fatality rate, though. <laughs> that okay. seems way too high. I mean, given it's well, it's the Great Depression, that's not too bad. Yeah, compared to like the Empire State Building or Heaven forbid the Great Wall in China or actually Sydney's Sydney's uh, I forgot what the average is called Sydney Harbour Bridge. That's what it's like. Mm, I'm doing great names. <laughs> like three deaths. That's not too bad. All things considered, not not great. Zero percent would be best, but I mean, I was expecting to be more like ten percent. Well, yeah, yeah. I wonder how. I wonder what was the um, what was the pay like back then? Considering it was the Great Depression was built, I wouldn't say very good. Nope. <sighs> and finally, on the sixth of July, nineteen ninety, the Electronic Fra- Frontier Foundation is founded. In nineteen ninety, M- Mitchell Kapoor, John Gilmore, and John Perry Barlow um, founded the Electronic Foundation Frontier Foundation in San Francisco to d- defend individual rights in the digital world. The three had met on the well. The foundation was formed in response to a series of action, series of actions by law enforcement agencies that led them to conclude that the authorities were gravely uninformed about emerging forms of online communication. And, and thirty years later, they still aren't informed. <laughs> and that there were that there was a need for increased protection of internet civil liberties. And this was um, motivated by the massive search and seizure of Steve Jackson um, games executed by the um, United States Secret Service in in the early 1990s. Similarly, but officially unconnected, law enforcement raids were being conducted across the U.S. at about the time where part of the state federal task force called Operation Sun Devil. Uh, the first successful achievement was to lay the groundwork for a successful representation of Steve Jackson Games in a federal court case to prosecute the United States Secret Service for unlawfully raiding their offices and seizing computers. Yeah, so the reason Steve Jackson Games were raided was because an employee there was a hacker and the Secret Service believed that he'd stolen documents from uh, Bell South, the telecommunications company, and uploaded them to the uh, public BBS 
and that the manual for GURPS Cyberpunk, a role-playing game, would instruct people on how to hack. <laughs> I'm surprised that the um, EFF hasn't done anything recently, though. I mean... Are you kidding me? Do you like, have any idea what you're talking about? No, no, I meant like with the recent... Um, how big tech is becoming more and more intrusive. That's literally the whole thing they've been fighting against for the past 30 years. Yeah, I know, but what, they haven't said any like statements or anything. Like They haven't said, like, we're going to go aggressive against this. Yeah, you know, that's the sort of thing that they actually do. Yeah. So press releases, July 8th, EFF to Supreme Court. Ah, press release, July right. 2nd, Police Departments with Deadly <laughs> Histories partner with Amazon's <laughs> ring surveillance. <laughs> press release, June 25th, <laughs> EFF right. and Jury DJ, Tengiri defending- you in some hole, the big, <laughs> nice, deep hole there. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I see that. I, I can agree with the fact they're not in the public eye, um, but they are. They have been fighting, definitely. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, they're not I, I, as, like, they don't put their money into publicity. They put it into helping. I'd rather them be, you know, something that nobody really knows about, but still transparent, but um, then spend all that money on publicity and not actually help. Yeah, fair enough. So uh, that's all we have for tonight. Anything else, um, guys? No, I so we're done pretty good. Uh, yep. Just don't buy that new Atari console and save yourself some money and go buy uh, 45 iPods. That's my recommendation. Wait, which model iPod? Hmm. Hmm. Good question. I mean, what one would you go for? Uh, I've been watching some interesting videos on installing like tons of storage in a... Uh... Dank pods? Yes, dank yes. pods. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that guy is the, the best kind of nuts. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, I don't know. I've been looking at getting a fifth generation iPod Touch simply because it's Bluetooth. And I agree with what he was saying, and I've had it for a long time. My Zune's lovely, but it's not Bluetooth. And unfortunately, these days, a lot of my devices are Bluetooth. And Zune hasn't been supported in, like, how long? <laughs> a decade? Yeah. <laughs> I love uh... it for bedtime, but for general use outside, it's a little clumsy. Um, but no. Uh, slight little end topic there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, uh, iTunes, Spotify, that's not canon.com, where we have an archive of old episodes. You can also find us on Pod Hero. It's a nice uh, supporting podcast supporting website. Um, you can also find us on... Come on, DJ, you should know this. <laughs> Dang, the dementia is killing me. Uh, <laughs> oh, you can also find us on Facebook. You. <laughs> you can also find run, us on Facebook. Run away, you shall forget your life. <laughs> so, yeah, um, there's a new podcast also coming up on um, That's Not Canon. What was the newest one that came out? Uh, I actually looked at it not that long ago. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Let me pull it up. Okay, the latest is... Warm Red Earth, an Australian history podcast. Very nice, very nice. So that's with uh, Kate Heffernan, and the uh, it explores the odder parts of Australiana, from forgotten history to folklore and even a bit of superstition. Nice, very nice. So yeah, anyway, the, that's all we have for tonight. Um, take care of yourself, stay hydrated, and we'll see you next week. Off we shall go to the stars and beyond.
planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.